Chapter 19 of By Pike and Dyke, A Tale of the Rise of the Dutch Republic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By Pike and Dyke by G. A. Henty. Chapter 19 The Queen's Service. A few days after Ned's return home, his aunt and cousins moved into a house close by, which they had taken a short time before. Dame Plomart's half of the property, purchased with the money that had been transmitted by her father-in-law and his sons, to England, being ample to keep them in considerable comfort. Just as Ned was leaving Delft, some dispatches had been placed in his hands for delivery upon his arrival in London to Lord Walsingham. The great minister was in attendance upon the Queen at Greenwich, and thither Ned proceeded by boat on the morning after his arrival. On stating that he was the bearer of dispatches from the Prince of Orange, Ned at once obtained an audience, and bowing deeply presented his letters to the Queen's counsellor. The latter opened the letter addressed to himself, and after reading a few words, said, Be seated, Captain Martin. The Prince tells me that he sends it by your hand, but that as you are prostrate by fever you will be unable to deliver it personally. I am glad to see that you are so far recovered. Ned seated himself, while Lord Walsingham continued the perusal of his dispatches. "'The Prince is pleased to speak in very high terms of you, Captain Martin,' he said, "'and tells me that as you are entirely in his confidence, you will be able to give me much information besides that that he is able to write.' He then proceeded to question Ned at length as to the state of feeling in Holland, its resources and means of resistance, upon all of which points Ned replied fully. The interview lasted near two hours, at the end of which time Lord Walsingham said, when i hand the letter enclosed within my own to the queen i shall report to her majesty very favourably as to your intelligence and it may possibly be that she may desire to speak to you herself for she is deeply interested in this matter and although circumstances have prevented her showing that warmth for the welfare of holland that she feels she has no less the interest of that country at heart and will be well pleased to find that one of her subjects has been rendering such assistance as the prince is pleased to acknowledge in his letter to me please therefore to leave your address with my secretary in the next room in order that i may communicate with you if necessary two days later one of the royal servants brought a message that captain martin was to present himself on the following day at greenwich as her majesty would be pleased to grant him an audience knowing that the queen loved that those around her should be bravely attired ned dressed himself in the suit that he had only worn once or twice when he had attended the prince to meetings of the estates it was of a puce-coloured satin slashed with green with a short mantle of the same material with the cape embroidered in silver the bonnet was to match with a small white feather he placed the chain the prince had given him round his neck and with an ample ruff and manchets of flemish lace and his rapier by his side he took his place in the boat and was rowed to greenwich he felt some trepidation as he was ushered in a page conducted him to the end of the chamber where the queen was standing with lord walsingham at her side ned bowed profoundly the queen held out her hand and bending on one knee ned reverently placed it to his lips i am gratified captain martin she said at the manner in which my good cousin the prince of orange has been pleased to speak of your services to him you are young indeed sir to have passed through such perilous adventures and i would fain hear from your lips the account of the deliverance of leyden and of such other matters as you have taken part in 
the queen then seated herself and ned related modestly the events at leyden harlem alkmaar and the two sea fights in which he had taken part the queen several times questioned him closely as to the various details we are much interested she said in these fights in which the burghers of holland have supported themselves against the soldiers of spain seeing that we may ourselves some day have to maintain ourselves against that power how comes it young sir that you came to mix yourself up in these matters we know that many of our subjects have crossed the water to fight against the spaniards but these are for the most part restless spirits who are attracted as much perhaps by a love of adventure as by their sympathy with the people of the netherlands ned then related the massacre of his dutch relations by the spaniards and how his father had lost a leg while sailing out of antwerp i remember me now the queen said the matter was laid before our council and we remonstrated with the spanish ambassador and he in turn accused our seamen of having first sunk a spanish galley without cause or reason and when not employed in these dangerous enterprises of which you have been speaking do you say that you have been in attendance upon the prince himself he speaks in his letter to my lord walsingham of his great confidence in you how came you first a stranger and a foreigner to gain the confidence of so wise and prudent a prince he entrusted a mission to me of some slight peril your majesty and i was fortunate enough to carry it out to his satisfaction tell me more of it the queen said it may be that we ourselves shall find some employment for you and i wish to know upon what grounds we should place confidence in you tell me fully the affair i am not pressed for time and love to listen to tales of adventure ned thus commanded related in full the story of his mission to brussels truly the prince's confidence was well reposed in you she said when ned had finished you shall hear from us anon captain martin since you know holland so well and are high in the confidence of the prince we shall doubtless be able to find means of utilizing your services for the benefit of the realm so saying she again extended her hand to ned who after kissing it retired from the audience chamber delighted with the kindness and condescension of elizabeth when he had left the queen said to lord walsingham a very proper young officer lord walsingham and one of parts and intelligence as well as of bravery methinks we may find him useful in our communications with the prince of orange and from his knowledge of the people we may get surer intelligence from him of the state of feeling there with regard to the alliance they are proposing with us and to their offers to come under our protection than we can from our own envoy it is advisable too at times to have two mouthpieces the one to speak in the public ear the other to deliver our private sentiments and plans he is young for so great a responsibility lord walsingham said hesitatingly if the prince of orange did not find him too young to act in matters in which the slightest indiscretion might bring a score of heads to the block i think that we can trust him my lord in some respects his youth will be a distinct advantage did we send a personage of age and rank to holland it might be suspected that he had a special mission from us and our envoy might complain that we were treating behind his back but a young officer like this could come and go without attracting observation and without even philip's spies suspecting that he was dabbling in affairs of state at this time indeed the queen was as she had long been playing a double game with the netherlands holland and zealand were begging the prince to assume absolute power the prince of orange who had no ambition whatever for himself was endeavouring to negotiate with either england or france to take the estates under their protection elizabeth while jealous of france 
was unwilling to incur the expenditure in men and still more money that would be necessary were she to assume protection of holland as its sovereign under the title offered to her of countess of holland and yet though unwilling to do this herself she was still more unwilling to see france step in and occupy the position offered to her while above all she shrank from engaging at present in a life-and-death struggle with spain thus while ever assuring the prince of orange of her good will she abstained from rendering any absolute assistance although continuing to hold out hopes that she would later on accept the sovereignty offered for the next three weeks ned remained quietly at home the gatherings in the summer-house were more largely attended than ever and the old sailors were never tired of hearing from ned stories of the sieges in holland it was a continual source of wonder to them how will martin's son who had seemed to them a boy like other boys should have gone through such perilous adventures should have had the honor of being in the prince of orange's confidence and the still greater honor of being received by the queen and allowed to kiss her hand it was little more than two years back that ned had been a boy among them never venturing to give his opinion unless first addressed and now he was a young man with a quiet and assured manner and bearing himself rather as a young noble of the court than the son of a sea-captain like themselves it was all very wonderful and scarce seemed to them natural especially as ned was as quiet and unaffected as he had been as a boy and gave himself no airs whatever on the strength of the good fortune that had befallen him much of his time was spent in assisting his aunt to get her new house in order and in aiding her to move into it this had just been accomplished when he received an order to go down to greenwich and call upon lord walsingham he received from him dispatches to be delivered to the prince of orange together with many verbal directions for the prince's private ear he was charged to ascertain as far as possible the prince's inclinations towards a french alliance and what ground he had for encouragement from the french king upon your return captain martin you will render me an account of all expenses you have borne and they will of course be defrayed my expenses will be but small my lord ned replied for it chances that my father's ship sails to-morrow for rotterdam and i shall take passage in her while there i am sure that the prince whose hospitality is boundless will insist upon my staying with him as his guest and indeed it seems to me that this would be best so for having so long been a member of his household it will seem to all that i have but returned to resume my former position the public service in the days of queen elizabeth was not sought for by men for the sake of gain it was considered the highest honor to serve the queen and those employed on embassies missions and even in military commands spent large sums and sometimes almost beggared themselves in order to keep up a dignity worthy of their position considering themselves amply repaid for any sacrifices by receiving an expression of the royal approval ned martin therefore returned home greatly elated at the honorable mission that had been entrusted to him his father however although also gratified at ned's reception at court and employment in the queen's service looked at it from the matter-of-fact point of view it is all very well ned he said as they were talking the matter over in family conclave in the evening and i do not deny that i share in the satisfaction that all these women are expressing it is a high honor that you should be employed on a mission for her majesty and there are scores of young nobles who would be delighted to be employed in such service but you see ned you are not a young noble and although honor is a fine thing it will buy neither bread nor cheese if you were the heir to great estates you would naturally rejoice 
rejoice in rendering services which might bring you into favor at court and win for you honor and public standing but you see you are the son of a master mariner happily the owner of his own ship and of other properties which are sufficient to keep him in comfort but which will naturally at the death of your mother and myself go to the girls while you will have the good venture and my share in other vessels but these are businesses that want looking after and the income would go but a little way to support you in a position at court you have now been two years away from the sea that matters little but if you were to continue in the royal service for a time you would surely become unfitted to return to the rough life of a master mariner fair words butter no parsnip ned honor and royal service empty the purse instead of filling it it behooves you to think these matters over i am surprised at you will dame martin said i should have thought that you would have been proud of the credit and honor that ned is winning why all our neighbors are talking of nothing else all our neighbors will not be called upon wife to pay for master ned's support to provide him with courtly garments and enable him to maintain a position which will do credit to his royal mistress i am proud of ned as proud as any one can be but that is no reason why i should be willing to see him spend his life as a needy hanger-on of the court rather than as a british sailor bearing a good name in the city and earning a fair living by honest trade ned knows that i am speaking only for his own good court favor is but an empty thing and our good queen is fickle in her likings and has never any hesitation in disavowing the proceedings of her envoys when a man has broad lands to fall back upon he can risk the loss of court favor and can go into retirement assured that sooner or later he will again have his turn but such is not ned's position i say not that i wish him at once to draw back from this course but i would have him soberly think it over and judge whether it is one that in the long run is likely to prove successful mrs martin her sister-in-law and the four girls looked anxiously at ned they had all since the day that he was first sent for to greenwich been in a high state of delight at the honor that had befallen him and his father's words had fallen like a douche of cold water upon their aspirations i fully recognize the truth of what you say father he said after a pause and i will think it deeply over which i shall have time to do before my return from holland assuredly it is not a matter to be lightly decided it may mean that this royal service may lead to some position of profit as well as honor although now as you have put it to me i own that the prospect seems to me to be a slight one and that where so many are ready to serve for honor alone the chance of employment for one requiring money as well as honor is but small however there can be no need for instant decision i am so fond of the sea that i am sure that even if away from it for two or three years i should be ready and willing to return to it i am as yet but little over eighteen and even if i remained in the royal service until twenty-one i should still have lost but little of my life and should not be too old to take to the sea again in time i shall see more plainly what the views of lord walsingham are concerning me and whether there is a prospect of advancement in the service he will know that i cannot afford to give my life to the queen's service without pay not being as you say a noble or a great landowner that is very well spoken ned his father said there is no need in any way for you to come to any resolution on the subject at present i shall be well content to wait until you come of age 
as you say by that time you will see whether this is but a brief wind of royal favour or whether my lord walsingham designs to continue you in the royal service and to advance your fortunes i find that i am able to get on board a ship better than i had expected and have no wish to retire from the sea at present therefore there will be plenty of time for you to decide when you get to the age of one and twenty nevertheless this talk will not have been without advantage for it will be far better for you not to have set your mind altogether upon court service and you will then if you finally decide to return to the sea not have to suffer such disappointment as you would do had you regarded it as a fixed thing that some great fortune was coming to you so let it be an understood thing that this matter remains entirely open until you come to the age of twenty-one ned accordingly went backwards and forwards to holland for the next two years bearing letters and messages between the queen and the prince of orange there was some pause in military operations after the relief of leyden negotiations had for a long time gone on between the king of spain acting by royal commissioners on the one side and the prince and the estates on the other the royal commissioners were willing in his name to make considerable concessions to withdraw the spanish troops from the country and to permit the estates general to assemble but as they persisted that all heretics should either recant or leave the provinces no possible agreement could be arrived at as the question of religion was at the bottom of the whole movement during the year fifteen seventy five the only military operation of importance was the recovery by the spaniards of the island of scalvin which with its chief town zierigzi was recovered by a most daring feat of arms the spaniards wading for miles through water up to the neck on a wild and stormy night and making their way across in spite of the efforts of the zealanders in their ships Zierikzi indeed resisted for many months and finally surrendered only to hunger the garrison obtaining good terms from the spaniards who were so anxious for its possession that to obtain it they were even willing for once to forego their vengeance for the long resistance it had offered in march fifteen seventy six while the siege was still going on requisin died suddenly of a violent fever brought on partly by anxiety caused by another mutiny of the troops this mutiny more than counterbalanced the advantage gained by the capture of the island of scalvin for after taking possession of it the soldiers engaged in the service at once joined the mutiny and marched away into brabant the position of holland had gone from bad to worse the utmost efforts of the population were needed to repair the broken dikes and again recover the submerged lands so bare was the country of animals of all kinds that it had become necessary to pass a law forbidding for a considerable period the slaughter of oxen cows calves sheep or poultry holland and zealand had now united in a confederacy of which the prince was at the head and by an act of union in june fifteen seventy five the two little republics became virtually one among the powers and duties granted to the prince he was to maintain the practice of the reformed evangelical religion and to cause to cease the exercise of all other religions contrary to the gospel he was however not to permit that inquisition should be made into any man's belief or conscience or that any man by cause thereof should suffer trouble injury or hindrance upon one point only the prince had been peremptory he would have no persecution in the original terms he had been requested to suppress the catholic religion but had altered the words into religion at variance with the gospel almost alone at a time when every one was intolerant the prince of orange was firmly resolved that all men should have liberty of conscience 
Holland suffered a great loss when Admiral Boisseau fell in endeavoring to relieve Zierikzee. The harbor had been surrounded by Spaniards by a submerged dike of piles of rubbish. Against this Boisseau drove his ship, which was the largest of his fleet. He did not succeed in breaking through. The tide ebbed and left his ship aground, while the other vessels were beaten back. Rather than fall into the hands of the enemy, he and three hundred of his companions sprang overboard and endeavored to effect their escape by swimming, but darkness came on before he could be picked up, and he perished by drowning. The mutiny among the Spanish regiments spread rapidly, and the greater part of the German troops of Spain took part in it. The mutineers held the various citadels throughout the country and ravaged the towns, villages, and open country. The condition of the people of Brabant was worse than ever. Despair led them to turn again to the provinces which had so long resisted the authority of Spain, and the fifteen other states, at the invitation of the prince, sent deputies to Ghent to a general congress to arrange for a close union between the whole of the provinces of the Netherlands. Risings took place in all parts of the country, but they were always repressed by the Spaniards, who, though in open mutiny against their king and officers, had no idea of permitting the people of the Netherlands to recover the liberty that had at the cost of so much blood been wrung from them. Maastricht drove out its garrison, but the Spaniards advanced against the town, seized a vast number of women, and placing these before them advanced to the assault. The citizens dared not fire, as many of their own wives or sisters were among the women. The town was therefore taken, and a hideous massacre followed. Ned Martin had now been two years engaged upon various missions to Holland, and Lord Walsingham himself acknowledged to his mistress that her choice of the young officer had been a singularly good one. He had conducted himself with great discretion, his reports were full and minute, and he had several times had audiences with the Queen, and had personally related to her matters of importance concerning the state of Holland, and the views of the Prince and the Estates General. The Congress at Ghent, and the agitation throughout the whole of the Netherlands, had created a lively interest in England, and Ned received orders to visit Ghent and Antwerp, and to ascertain more surely the probability of an organization of the provinces into a general confederation when he reached ghent he found that the attention of the citizens was for the time chiefly occupied with the siege of the citadel which was held by a spanish garrison and he therefore proceeded to antwerp this was at the time probably the wealthiest city in europe it carried on the largest commerce in the world, its warehouses were full of the treasures of all countries, its merchants vied with princes in splendor. The proud city was dominated, however, by its citadel, which had been erected not for the purpose of external defense but to overawe the town. The governor of the garrison, Diavola, had been all along recognized as one of the leaders of the mutiny. The town itself was garrisoned by Germans who still held aloof from the mutiny, but who had been tampered with by him. The governor of the city, Champagny, although a sincere Catholic, hated the Spaniards, and had entered into negotiations with the prince. The citizens thought at present but little of the common cause, their thoughts being absorbed by fears of their own safety, threatened by the mutinous Spanish troops who had already captured and sacked Alost, and were now assembling with the evident intention of gathering for themselves the rich booty contained within the walls of Antwerp. As they approached the town, a force of five thousand Walloon infantry and twelve hundred cavalry were dispatched from Brussels to the aid of its sister city. No sooner, however, did this force enter the town than it broke into a mutiny, which was only repressed with the greatest difficulty by Champagny. 
it was at this moment that ned entered the city he at once communicated with the governor and delivered to him some messages with which he had been charged by the prince of orange whom he had visited on his way had you arrived three days since i could have discussed these matters with you the governor said but as it is we are hourly expecting attack and can think of nothing but preparations for defence i shall be glad if you can assist me in that direction half the german garrison are traitors the walloons who have just entered are in no way to be relied upon and it is the burghers themselves upon whom the defence of the town must really fall they are now engaged in raising a rampart facing the citadel i am at once proceeding thither to superintend the work ned accompanied the governor to the spot and found twelve thousand men and women laboring earnestly to erect a rampart constructed of bales of goods casks of earth upturned wagons and other bulky objects the guns of the fortress opened upon the workers and so impeded them that night fell before the fortifications were nearly completed unfortunately it was bright moonlight and the artillerymen continued their fire with such accuracy that the work was at last abandoned and the citizens retired to their homes champagny did all that was possible aided by some burghers and his own servants he planted what few cannon there were at the weakest points but his general directions were all neglected and not even scouts were posted in the morning a heavy mist hung over the city and concealed the arrival of the spanish troops from all the towns and fortresses in the neighborhood as soon as it was fairly daylight the defenders mustered the marquis of havre claimed for the walloons the post of honor in defense of the lines facing the citadel and six thousand men were disposed here while the bulk of the german garrison were stationed in the principal squares at ten o'clock the mutineers from alost marched into the citadel raising the force there to five thousand veteran infantry and six hundred cavalry ned had been all night at work assisting the governor he had now laid aside his ordinary attire and was clad in complete armor he was not there to fight but there was clearly nothing else to do unless indeed he made his escape at once to the fleet of the prince of orange which was lying in the river this he did not like doing until it was clear that all was lost he had seen the dutch burghers beat back the most desperate assaults of the spanish troops and assuredly the walloons and germans who without counting the burghers considerably exceeded the force of the enemy ought to be able to do the same just before daybreak he made his way down to the quays ascertained the exact position of the fleet and determined how he had best get on board he chose a small boat from among those lying at the quay and removed it to the foot of some stairs by a bridge he fastened the head rope to a ring and pushed the boat off so that it lay under the bridge concealed from the sight of any who might pass along the wharves having thus prepared for his own safety he was making his way to rejoin the governor when a woman came out from a house in a quiet street as she met him he started why magdalen he exclaimed is it you what are you doing in antwerp is the countess here the woman looked at him in surprise don't you remember me magdalen the boy you dressed up as a girl in brussels and whom you last saw at maastricht bless me the old servant exclaimed is it you sir i should never have known you again three years make a great deal of difference ned laughed and it is more than that now since we last met please to come in sir the countess will be right glad to see you and so will miss gertrude they have talked of you hundreds of times and wondered what had become of you she opened the door again with the great key and led the way into the house mistress she said showing the way into the parlor here is a visitor for you 
the countess and her daughter had like every one else in antwerp been up all night and rose from her seat by the fire as the young officer entered he took off his helmet and bowed deeply what is your business with me the countess asked seeing that he did not speak i have not come exactly upon business countess he replied but to thank you for past kindnesses mother it is the english boy exclaimed the young lady sitting upon the side of the fire rising from her seat surely sir you are master edward martin your eyes are not in fault fraulein i am edward martin i am glad indeed to see you sir the countess said how often my daughter and i have longed for the time when we might again meet you to tell how grateful we are for the service you did us i wonder now that i did not recognize you but you have changed from a lad into a man you must remember it is more than four years since we were together at brussels as for the meeting near maastricht it was such a short one and i was so full of joy at the thought that gertrude and i had escaped the fearful danger hanging over us that i scarce noticed your appearance nor had we any time to talk then we received the letter you wrote after leaving us at brussels from the hague telling us that you had arrived there safely but since you did us that service at maastricht we have never heard of you i had not your address ned replied and even had i known where you were i should not have dared to write for there was no saying into whose hands the letter might not fall but countess excuse me if i turn to other matters for the time presses sorely you know that the city will be attacked to-day so every one says the countess replied but surely you do not think that there is any danger the walloons and germans should be able alone to hold the barricades and behind them are all the citizens i put little faith in the walloons ned said shortly and some of the germans we know have been bribed i would rather that all were out of the way and that it were left to the burghers alone to defend the barricades i have seen how the citizens of the netherlands can fight at harlem and alkmaar as for these walloons i have no faith in them i fear countess that the danger is great and if the spaniards succeed in winning their way into the town there is no mercy to be expected for man woman or child i consider that it would be madness for you to stay here but what are we to do sir the countess asked the only way madam is to make your way on board the prince's fleet i am known to many of the officers and can place you on board at once if you wait until the spaniards enter it will be too late there will be a wild rush to the river and the boats will be swamped if the attack fails and the spaniards retire from before the city you can if you choose return to shore though i should say that even then it will be better by far to go to rotterdam or delft unless you decide to do as you once talked about to find a refuge for a time in england i will accept your offer gladly sir the countess said i have long been looking for some way to leave the city but none can go on board the ships without a pass and i have not dared to ask for one not for worlds would i expose my daughter to the horrors of a sack can we go at once yes madam i have everything in readiness and would advise no delay i have nothing that i need mind leaving behind i am as you see more comfortable here than i was at brussels but i am still forced to keep my concealment in five minutes we shall be ready End of chapter nineteen